Welcome back to the Pathway Podcast. In this week's episode, lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan will explore how Christians should approach judging others. We have been in the book of James. And last week, if you were not here last week, I want you to understand that you really need to go back and listen to last week. I'm going to recap it just a little bit because I feel the need to. Uh, But last week's message and this week's message go together. Because we're in this part of the book of James where we're dealing with wisdom as our guide. right? Where we look to God's word. There are so many things we can look to for wisdom. But God's word and his wisdom as our guide. And when we do that, we came to the place last week in James chapter 4 where we have the passage of scripture that I talked about being... Uh, now the, the most culturally quoted and the one that is used the most outside of kind of church settings and Christian settings um, and, uh, and everything else in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. And that verse was, do not judge others and you will not be judged. So when I brought that verse up, and, and I want you to understand, last week was when we don't judge or why we don't judge. Today is when we do. And that's why I say, if you listen to today's sermon and you're like, I have been waiting, waiting for someone to tell me when I can go out and tell people how wrong they are. This is not your sermon, all right? And if you go out of here with anything I preach today and that's what you do with it, please, please come talk to me. We'll have a great conversation. But there is a place for both, and that's what we're going to talk about today. That's why I said that last week. But... This is the season. I love it. It's cold outside. It's fall. Basketball's about to start. I say that because basketball didn't exist yesterday. All right? That's that's right. I I needed those amens. Basketball didn't exist yesterday. That's all exhibition. That's not real. That's not anything real or tangible. It's in the future. And it's great, but everything about this time of year I love, except for the fact that every two years, and pretty much now every day, is election season. And it's also sports season, and it's also every other kind of season you can think of. Um, And all of those seasons that go together to make us want to argue with each other in such a way that we win. In order to win, we have to put other people down. We have to own them. We have to, you know, disparage them. We have to make them look foolish. And I can tell you that a sinful part of Jeremy enjoys doing that to people very much. I do. Uh, I have to really work hard to not allow myself to get drug into a clickbait world. But I I hate, I I find a lot of news online and everything else. And the websites where all the titles are pretty much clickbait, you'll never guess what happened. And these are news websites, right? News websites. I I, I quit going to them because I'm like, I can't stand your title. Because I'm going to read a whole article and there's actually like 18 words of facts and that's all you're sharing with me. But that's where we're at, right? That we go and we find the sources that confirm what we like about ourselves, what we believe about this world, what, every, what our mindset and our view is on everything. And so we live in that world where we get drawn in to the things we already know and we already believe and we already think are good about us and bad about others. Why? Because deep down inside, individually, we do like the idea of judging. We just do. It's part of our human nature, part of our sinful nature that we like judging others in such a way 
that makes us feel better about us. And we don't care if it makes us have to feel bad about them. Right? That doesn't matter to us. As long as we get the result we want, which is I feel good about Jeremy. I feel smart. I feel validated in my views. I feel all of those things. And so if I have to destroy somebody else, if I have to do whatever it takes to get people to agree with me, I'm going to go to it. But here's the thing. Today when I talk about why we do judge, and I'm using the English word judge, right? Because when we talked about it last week that God tells us not to judge, it's about having, and we said, it's about your heart, right? It's about a judgmental spirit. Uh, it could be slander, but it, you could be saying the full truth and still be wrong, right? If you're judging people in a way that is not in love, that is not meant to try and restore them, and that is not meant to try and help both of you grow closer to God together. And so that's what the Bible is talking about. And when it talks about that, it is very, very clear. Um, do not judge others and you'll not be judged. There in Matthew 7, 1. And when we quote that verse, and when we say or when we paraphrase it, and do we say, well, we're not supposed to judge anyone. We dealt with this last week. Are you correct? It all depends. Because sometimes what we say, when we say, well, we're not supposed to judge anybody, what we are doing is we are saying that we, as believers, are never to talk about sin in a way that offends somebody. That we, as believers, are never to talk to a person we care about or that we love about something going on in their life that is leading them away from God. We can't judge them. We don't want to make them feel judged. We don't want to make them angry at us. Whatever the different reasons are, we stay on the sidelines because we are afraid of how we will be received. We're afraid of how other people will perceive us. Do they view us as judgmental hypocrites? Possibly. And I want to tell you that as we go through this, you got to keep asking yourself very, very many questions. And the first one is, where is my heart? So in James chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12, we read those. And it said, Do, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? And this is James, 108 verses. And in those 108 verses, there's 54 imperatives, right, of him telling us what we're doing wrong, what we need to fix, what we need to do right. But still he is saying, don't judge, right? There is a sinful way that you can judge others. Now, here's the things that he talked to them about. And I've got a list of those on the screen. Um, he told them that we ask for wisdom, but we aren't ready to follow. Fighting temptation is about confronting our desires. Loving God is shown by responding to what we see in the spiritual mirror. Showing favoritism is sin and the first marker of a dead faith. We talk about our faith, but if we don't live it, it's hollow or empty. And what comes out of our mouth shows the sin in our heart. He also continued to talk about how that the only way to have true humility is applying wisdom over time. That's what we learned in James 1, 2, and 3 and the start of 4. James did not have a problem addressing sinful issues in the lives of the people that he was trying to reach and care about. He did not have a problem. If you don't understand that, go back and read the first three chapters. It will be very, very clear. However... Your heart has to be in the right place. And remember, he started, like I said, in verse 11. And he said, don't speak evil against each other. 
It wasn't that he was calling them out for trying to hold each other accountable and trying to help everybody move to be closer to God. When you have to start your admonition by saying, don't speak evil against each other, it's pretty clear that hearts weren't in the right place. Motives were way off. They were simply trying to get every one of their friends on you know, social media to agree with them and think that other person is wrong or stupid, evil. See, but in our society where the goal is, is to say something and, or to respond, some, take someone else's comment and then destroy the logic behind it, which is so easy, or destroy their, the hypocrisy that they have done with other things in their life, which is very simple to do. And to make 100,000 people laugh at it, to like it, to share it, right? It is very simple for us to judge what other people say and what other people do and to show the wrong in it. But that's not what God has called us to do. God hasn't called us to go out and to see how many people can like the way that we try to destroy somebody struggling with sin. God has called us to help change one person at a time. Starting with us. Starting with those closest to us. And then moving out to those we care about. Because it is impacting people one at a time. And doing that in a loving way. And we're going to see here in just a few minutes. is the only way that we can move forward. And actually have discernment about sin, right? To actually confront sin. To actually... Expose sin. These are all words that, biblical words that we'll see in scripture, right? So we can say, we're not supposed to judge, and I'll say, okay, I can agree with you. If you're talking about judging, is having a judgmental spirit, your heart's in the wrong place, all you want to do is make someone look bad, you don't actually care about them as a person, you don't actually want to try and restore them and bring them closer to Christ. If that's what you're doing, you're judging, and, and Jesus said you're wrong, James said you're wrong. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, do not judge others. These are the words of Christ. And he said, and you will not be judged, for you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So, Jesus said it. James said it. Like I talked about last week, if you end in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, you don't read verse 6, which Jesus said, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Which in short, go listen to it last week, is just don't waste your time trying to share the gospel who have shown that they just hate it and that they're going to attack you for it and they're not even going to take you seriously. Go take that great gospel and share it somewhere else where people might be receptive. And what does it take? It takes discernment. Or in layman's terms, judging whether or not that person is going to be confrontational to the gospel. James even, at the end of the book, the way he ends the book of James in chapter 5 and verse 19 and 20 he says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So James and Jesus both, right? Don't judge. You have no right to judge or anything else. 
And then Jesus says, but uh, you got to judge or have discernment or expose or confront. However you want to put it, right? People, when they're teaching falsehoods, people, when they are just against the gospel, you have to discern their spirit. And James said that part of our job and one of the greatest things we can do for our brothers and sisters in Christ is to help bring them back when they wander away from the truth. In order to do that, you're going to have to, in a biblical, Jesus-like way, approach people and talk to them about what they are wondering from. What part of the truth are they wondering from? Is it something they believe about theology? Is it something about their lifestyle? Is it something that they are allowing into their life and allowing to influence everything else they do? And either they don't see it or they enjoy it so much they, they at the moment, don't seem to care. The only way to help bring somebody back who is wondering from the truth is to go and talk to them about it. That is the only, only way. One of the things that you'll see about God is that Jesus himself, he had harsh rebukes for people, but they were pretty much always religious leaders. He never shied away from calling out sin. To those who didn't believe in God, you can see his approach was much more loving. To those that did believe in God, but were straying, he was still loving. And then to those who believed in God, but were self-righteous or hypocritical, and outwardly so and didn't care, those are the ones he was harsh with. So whenever somebody says, well, I approached them in sin and everything else, and they just didn't want to hear it, and I find out, and I try and find out the type of conversation they had, and I hear the harshness that we put on display that Jesus reserved for the leaders of the Jewish, of the Jewish religion and the Jewish faith, right? But we excuse it by saying, well, Jesus overturned tables, Okay, if I start doing something sinful in here, I hope you'll throw a chair or two at me. All right? But when you're at a restaurant and you see somebody talking about something sinful, I wouldn't do it there, not only because of the police, but just because it won't be that effective. It actually won't just be ineffective, it'll be sinful on you. God will judge them for their sins, he'll judge you for yours. But we must not shy away from talking about sin. Because when we shy away from that, we almost are condoning and allowing people to go further and further into it. Now, Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, don't judge others, right? Hypocrite, log in your own eye. Verse 6, he says, but you don't need to waste what's holy on unholy. And then you just go down to verse 15 in Matthew chapter 7. And he says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. This isn't necessarily the whole fruit analogy. isn't necessarily talking about us as individuals as much as it is People who are teaching things about the Bible and about God that are not correct. And that even somebody who comes to you, what? Disguised as harmless sheep, which means they're nice. Fluffy even. 
They are nice and they are fluffy and they are not, and you like to be around them and everything else. And they're not trying to harm me. They're just, you know, they're a little off here. What does Jesus say? Not Paul, not Peter, not definitely not Jeremy. He says that ultimately what they are doing, if they are allowed to do so, produces bad fruit. Because incorrect teachings about God don't stop there. They become more incorrect teachings and more. The further away we get from what the Bible says about God in one area, then it becomes two and it just spreads. It never, it never just organically comes backward to be more correct. It doesn't. And so Jesus said, y'all have got to watch out for this. They had some pretty big things already, right? I'm not talking about whether or not you think Jesus was crucified on a, on a Thursday or a Friday. Because honestly, I, I don't really care about that. I've got my opinions. And if you're wrong, post it. I'll destroy you. Everyone else can like it. But I'm talking about they were having major issues and problems about whether or not Jesus was even a a real person and whether or not Jesus, you know, whether or not you had to be baptized to go to heaven and, and whether or not you still had to obey the law. They had some pretty big stuff and little stuff matters too, but Jesus was saying you have to address these things. But for the most part in our life, I mean, we need to talk to people about Scripture. We need to talk to people about the Bible. We have to know the Bible well enough to be able to confront it, but we need to be able to talk to people about what is true and what isn't true. However, the thing that each one of us, every individual, has a greater mandate for, in my opinion, and a greater opportunity, is trying to help other people who are wandering away from the truth. Not just about who Jesus is, but about what a life living after Jesus looks like. And to try and help bring them back. Luke chapter 17, Jesus said this. One day Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptations to sin. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and turns against uh, again and ask for forgiveness, you must forgive. And so, Jesus himself talking to them, talking about temptations of the world and referring to tempting those who are innocent children here especially, but I, I think it, it counts for all of us. In saying that there is always temptation to sin, but man, what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. Man, what sorrow awaits that person? Now, ask yourself this question. That's one of the next steps and along those lines and everything else. But just the, the concept and the idea of how many times have I seen somebody that I know and that I care about and I'm watching them do something with their life that I know is sinful. And maybe I convince myself that it's not really going to hurt them. It's not really going to hurt someone else. And I convince myself that... Why? Because I don't want to risk harming our friendship. Or I don't want to risk being called a judgmental person. And so I stay back. Right? Now, here's the thing. If you've tried to talk to people about sin issues in their life, and it always seems that everybody always gets, seems to get mad at you, stop. Stop. Come talk to me. 
Let's go back to last week's sermon, and let's make sure that we are good there, right, before we move on to this week's sermon. Because I'm telling you that if we keep approaching people and it seems like all we ever do is produce anger, and all we do is get that. However, I personally, I know other people here who have said, Jeremy, I want to talk to somebody about this. Help me make sure I'm doing this in the right way. You know, and I do my best to do that. Ultimately, in the end, my job is to tell people, and your job is to tell people, that if they do not believe in Jesus Christ, that their life has no righteousness worthy of heaven, and they'll spend an eternity in hell. That's my job. That's your job. At some point, if you do your job at all, people are not going to like what you say. Yet people do tend to get more mad at me for talking about basic lifestyle choices they may make than they do me talking about whether or not our sin leads us to hell without Jesus Christ. It's true. So I get being apprehensive, but I can guarantee you that if I'm scared to talk to a friend of mine who is leading down a destructive path or even a sinful path that I don't think is going to be destructive, if I'm scared to talk to that person, I'm probably not sharing the gospel with people either. Today's stepping on toes. Just wait till the next slide comes up. It gets worse. Today is the day that I have to, I have to, because more than anybody, I see their results. And when I say more than anybody, it's because there is so much that is always going on in the undercurrent that I, I keep in the undercurrent as best as I can, but I see the results. Of this scripture today. And it breaks my heart. Got news yesterday that breaks. If you want to hear me scream in the sermon. I'm seconds away. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Let me tell you a story. Hadn't been married long. I can't remember if we were living in Rogers at that time or moved down to Little Rock. I got a call from a friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in a while. You know, the kind of people that you would lay your, down, your life down for, and if they called you, you'd go, right? You'd go. But we probably hadn't seen each other since graduation night, right? He went in a direction. I went in a different direction. And they don't let me on the secret military bases that he ended up on. But when I got a call from him and I answered, I could hear the brokenness in his voice on the other end. And he told me that a friend of ours had died. That a friend of ours that I didn't spend a lot of time with, he was a little bit younger, but the three of us would go out and do things at times and, and uh, everything else together. And he had uh, died from a, a drug overdose. And it broke my heart. And if I could have found the people who encouraged him to do those things, I wouldn't be here today. You know, we have Brad's house on campus. Um, right there across from the U of A bookstore, and it's named after a student named Brad Norris. And every so often we tell his story a little bit, but I received a phone call from Brad's phone. And I just talked to Brad a little bit earlier. 
he was headed down the interstate going down to Fort Smith area to watch his sister play volleyball. And I received a call on his phone from a girl because they found it on the side of the road because he had been killed in a car accident, right? And he had been killed by a drunk driver that was going the opposite way on the interstate. I don't know if that guy drank alone all afternoon or if he drank with friends. I'm not sure. But nobody had stopped him or had confronted him along the way to get him to change. And so I got the call because Brad was dead and they were trying to find out who this young man was. And so that's why I got the call. And then I told them his parents' name and his family name so they could reach out to him and search through the phone and do that. And so those are easy stories, right? Those are easy stories for me to share, easy stories for me to talk about, to show what happens, right? When we see people go down a destructive path and, oh, yeah, drugs, bad, 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 and, you know, and drunk driving, bad, 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 and everything. And, yes, the people who, who encouraged that or who didn't, you know, do what they could to help stop that, oh, yeah, terrible, terrible, horrible people. Ephesians 4. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We talk about this verse and this verse is used often about speaking the truth in love. And it's done in a way that's correct, right? It's done in a way that's correct, but it's not always complete. There's a big difference. I can say a lot of things that are correct that aren't complete. And my omission can do more damage sometimes than sharing something that's incorrect. Because my omission can give us a sense of being absolutely right and justified in the sight of God because all I'm doing is reading a verse out of Scripture and I'm going to live it out. But if I don't read it completely and I miss the whole story, then I'm actually taking God's Word and I may be going in the wrong direction with it. Because see, Paul, when he was writing to the church at Ephesus, he said to speak the truth in love. And that's usually where the memes stop and the paintings on the wall stop and the things that we share, and the badges end. But he keeps going. He keeps going. And we're about to pick back up in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6, but from Ephesians 4, 16 to Ephesians 5, chapter 5, he lists out a whole bunch of different sins that he was confronting them. He's telling them, don't do these. Quit doing these. Y'all are having a problem with these. And here's what he lists. Big old list up on the screen. Telling lies. Anger. Theft. Foul language. Bitterness. Harsh words. Slander. And he goes in and he keeps going. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. Some of y'all are going to feel bad, at least for a week, about telling dirty jokes. 
They're jokes that disparage people. Hopefully you don't get over it. Right? So here's the list. Go back to that list. Leave it up for a little bit. Here's the list that he talks about, and here are the sins. And when he says to speak the truth in love, and that we need to address people, and he is about to say to take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead expose them. He isn't talking about that somebody is selling and, and you know that somebody is selling meth or cooking meth. He's not talking about that people are knocking over banks. He's not even talking about murder. He's not talking about anything else. He's talking about this list, that list. And there are things on that list that I struggle not to do. And I bet some of you do too. There are things on that list that I think every single one of us has a problem with. And yet he said that these are the things that we need to not only quit, but that we need to speak the truth and love to people. And he goes on in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, that list. Not all the big ones we all can think about. Those sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Remember, I I struggle with some, a lot of those sins on that list too. And I have the light from the Lord. So God calls me to live as a person of the light. In verse 9, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. I can still hide it. I can still choose to do sinful things. But the part of God that lives within me only produces good. Verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. So, here's the thing. Yeah, I share a couple of easy stories, right? I said they're easy stories. Not for me to share, not for me to think about. But they're easy for us to look at as black and white examples, right? As it's clear as day, opposites. About this is good, this is bad. And so, when you talk about somebody doing something that's absolutely horrible, right? It's easiest for us to look at that and discern it and say, this is good, this is bad. But then you get this list in Ephesians 4 and 5. And he says, don't do them. Instead, expose them. So, no, don't judge anybody. Just expose that list. All right? It's hard stuff. It's scary stuff. To any of our first-time guests, I'm just going to tell you that if people start coming around and asking, so, anything on that list? Take their name, find it out, bring it to me. Because I say, I don't want you to hear this sermon today without hearing last week's sermon talk about how sinful it can be when we take a judgmental spirit to others. But we, as believers, have to have not just the truth, but the completeness and the complete story is that we cannot be judgmental. We cannot be hateful. We cannot want to hurt people. We cannot do that at all. Judging people in that way is unbelievably sinful. James talked about it. Jesus talked about it. However, if we are so scared of our own hypocrisy or the fear of what people think about us, or if we just want to be a nice person and we have, we have swallowed the lie that we just can't tell people what they're doing wrong. 
and we allow the people that we are close to that we can have an impact on, if we allow them to keep going down destructive paths, we're just as sinful. We are just as sinful. So when you see all of this, how is it that we are supposed to not judge anyone, but yet have discernment and to talk about sin and to confront those things, which is also called for? I want to go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 through 5. And to me, whenever you read Matthew chapter 7, if you want to understand the full picture and you don't have time to read all of it, remember, they expect that the readers understand all of the scripture together. And so when we take bits and pieces, we can be right but not complete. But if you just want to read Matthew 7, if there's another passage to read, I would go to Galatians 6 verses 1 through 5. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, there's not a log sticking out of your eye, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. There's a few things here that I want to share before we close. And I just want to implore you. I have seen some of those small little sins, right, that we saw there in Ephesians. When I say that, I say that because we... We personally look at some of those things as small sins. And I know that because I have justified some at times. I have other people justify them to me. I watch other people that I know are are committing some of these things and it doesn't bother them at all. I have seen some of those small sins. Even from the things of coarse language and other, other things else that open up a door of dialogue that leads to worse things. I have seen lives changed. Why? Because we allow some things to go on in our own hearts and lives and we don't struggle with it. You know, the reality, in, uh, in, and I, I said this the other night um, at our small group, is that in order to be authentic, right, as believers, we need to be open. We need to be open about who we are and about what we struggle with. But the problem is, is that oftentimes... We're open about our sin, but we're not struggling with it. We actually talk about it in a way to try and relate to other people, almost in a bragging way. Yeah, I do these sins too, but I don't do those, so I'm good. I'm all right. You are too, right? You only struggle with sin if you actually feel guilt about it and try to stop. Otherwise, you're just embracing it. We just embrace it. Authenticity is not being a hypocrite and not putting on, you know, uh, you know, a a Jesus overly self-righteous image to people when inside we are something way different. Being authentic as Christians is not trying to pretend that we are more righteous than we are. But I guarantee you, you're not authentic Christian 
if you're open about your sin, but you're embracing it instead of struggling with it. That's just being honest. It's not being authentic. Because Jesus never calls us to embrace our sin. He calls us to struggle and to work hard. Myself, the same sins I struggle with all the time. Except some days I don't struggle. And I just embrace them on those days. When we do that as believers for ourselves, then we put ourselves in a position where it's really hard to impact others. And when we don't care about other people enough to, number one, risk the hard conversation, or number two, to prepare ourselves and our heart and our minds to be so close to what Jesus feels about that person, that he loves them, and that he only wants the truth in love spoken to them, and that he wants them to be brought back because they're wandering from the truth and how great that is. Until our hearts and our minds are there, keep our mouth shut. But if we don't love them enough to get there, then we love the lack of confrontation or we love the idea that everybody thinks we're not judgmental so much that we're okay with that person wandering away from God. And for one sin becoming two and worse and it never usually organically comes back until God convicts them of their sin and so many times the scripture is clear that he calls us to go and to love them enough to talk to them about it one-on-one one-on-one because I love them and I want to keep it between us and I want to share with them and I want them to feel love for me I don't want them to feel judgment I'll be authentic I don't want them to feel hatred because that's sure not what God wants from us I want them to understand that my desire is to see them feel the same way I do about God's word, that following it will give us the best opportunity to enjoy life, no matter how hard it is. Because I can enjoy life, no matter how hard it is, if I feel that I am doing my best to follow God. As we wrap up this morning, I want to share again Romans 5, 6 through 8, because this is not only scripture that talks about salvation, it helps get in the mindset of who we need to be when we are going to approach those we love. In Romans chapter 5, in verse 6, it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, the sacrifice that Jesus made was for people not even looking for it, not even asking for it, definitely not deserving of it. But he gave his all to provide a loving opportunity in a way for every person to have the, to have the offer of salvation. So if we're going to love people as Jesus loved, then we'll give it our all. To be able to talk to them in a way that's loving and not hurtful. That is hopeful, not damaging. That is talking about the things we're concerned about because they already know we care for them. Right? We're not having to explain we care to them on the first day. So we can talk to them about the things in their life. 
Those other ways don't work because they aren't what Jesus was. They're not his example. But he died for each and every one of you and me, everybody in this world, when we didn't deserve it. And he gave everything he had. So if you're here today and you haven't trusted Jesus as Savior, I want you to understand Jesus gave everything, not expecting anything back, just giving you the opportunity to believe. And if you're here and you have never made that choice, maybe it's because that you haven't trusted in God because some of his people have been cruel to you or some of his people have not shown a very good image of Jesus. I don't matter. They don't matter. No one else matters but you and Jesus. Look past the sinfulness and the hurt or anything else that you may have experienced in life and understand that Jesus died for you. (laughs) 